mic check, one, two, three. Imagine a world where the global pandemic has made face-to-face -face interactions with strangers all but impossible, where anti-Black racism has gotten so lethal that protesters are driven onto the streets in every major city, week after week, where global warming threatens to submerge entire nations and bring the world to the edge of climate catastrophe, where the gap between the rich and poor continues to widen as social safety nets are being ripped apart. This is 2020, a time when upheaval has become ordinary. But let's leave the world behind for a moment and zoom onto the computer screens of four ordinary graduate students making their very first podcast. Talk to each other, share your stories about where you come from, your education, your work, what matters to you, and how the last five months have impacted you. This was the first day of the Podcasting Institute. We didn't know one another yet, and we met for the first time zooming in from San Diego, Gainesville, Charlottesville, and Irvine. Uh, well, hi, I'm Lauren. I go to the University of Florida. I'm a PhD student studying film, and I study documentary and experimental film. And I, let's, what are the other ones? I, I also work at the Center for the Humanities in the Public Sphere as the program coordinator. And how have the last five months impacted me? Well, a lot has been going on. <laughs> On a personal as well as a global level, I would say I've learned how to be alone a little bit more than I used to, but I've also been looking a lot for connections and lots of Zooming as we're doing now. Uh, I can go next. Yeah, go uh, for it. Okay. Uh, I'm Kevin. Uh, I go to the University of Virginia, grad student there, getting my PhD in uh, ancient history, so it's like Greeks and Romans. I work mainly on political economy of the Roman Empire, but I'm also interested in like Greek religion and colonization. Oh, what matters to you? Uh, I guess I kind of want like my, those things that I study to sort of like make them relevant to today. I mean, there's like uh, such a big gap between then and now, but I, I find it very interesting and important. Hi, I'm June. Um, so I am from Wuhan, China, the center, or what was the center of the current coronavirus outbreak. Um, I go to school at UC Irvine, and um, I'm getting a PhD in comparative literature, but specifically my work focuses on independent Chinese film and representations of trauma. Um, what matters to me is kind of um, like, uh, this is a hard question. Um, hi everyone, I'm Marina. Um, I'm here in San Diego. We've been great if we like all got to see each other here, but uh, I'm, I go to UCSD. Um, I'm a history uh, PhD in Middle East studies. Uh, I was born in Egypt actually, and um, I was raised here in San Diego, but like I go back and forth um, and I spend my summers in Egypt and like all my family's still there. And what matters to me is, um, so I'm Coptic and the stories that I'm telling are, are really personal to my community also. And I feel like my work is not just um, like work, but it's also something that's personal to me and, and trying to use um, like history and storytelling to really like uplift the stories of people who are not, like their stories are not written down.
After our introductions, we started throwing ideas around. We realized that all of the stories we told seemed to converge on shifting intimacies and how the ways that humans connect have changed. Here we are on day three, reflecting on our Zoom introductions from day one. I wonder if we could also like think about how we introduced ourselves to each other. Um, I'm just think as we're reflecting on it right now, like, like how did we make our Zoom entrance? I guess, yeah. To each other. Yeah, because we yeah. it was kind of that like uh, I feel like the sort of um, like formal thing of like who are you? Yeah. What do you study? Where are you from? And all that. And then when we got to the point of it's like what was it? What's most important to you? Mm-hmm. we're all like what <laughs> it's like kind of like rapid intimacy honestly because when you like introduce yourself normally you don't say things like this is what matters the most to me in life yeah yeah you only find that out after getting to know someone for a long mm-hmm. time we spent many hours together over the course of four days talking on zoom and although none of us has ever made a podcast before we wanted to push the boundaries of podcasting and do something a little experimental. At the end of the first day, Kevin suggested we try to make a podcast within a podcast. So we settled on a segment, this one, that explains how this podcast was made. Yeah. <laughs> this is very meta. I feel like this process is very like <laughs> self-reflexive. <laughs> like we're like taking it yeah it's like kind of an extreme where we're like we've never actually made a podcast before but now we're going to make a podcast, <laughs> a podcast but also reflect back on the making of the podcast that we also have not yet made yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think i've ever like heard of a podcast that talks about the podcast do <laughs> <laughs> like one year later we're doing it again one year from now i wonder if we We'll still be working, chatting, bonding, and laughing with coworkers and loved ones over Zoom. Will we still be wearing masks and working from home? Will protesters still be hitting the streets to demand an end to police brutality and structural anti-blackness? Will the forms that intimacy takes shift once again? In the past week, we've learned the names of each other's pets, smiled at the faint sounds of a child's laughter in somebody's home, bought Zoom fatigue together, and created a podcast. And although our podcast is just a small offering to the future, it's a striving to embody the kind of collaborative survival and deep interdependence that makes better worlds possible. And now for some self-care and relaxation. ASMR for graduate students. Take it as long as you like to write your dissertation. We'll fund you as long as you need. Your teaching and public engagement are just as much as public engagement will be taken into consideration equally during tenure review. We do not regret to inform you. We do not regret to inform you that your book manuscript has been accepted. Your advisor cares about you personally and professionally. Your advisor is complimenting you 
on how theoretically sophisticated and original your work is. Food and alcohol, alcohol will be served at the event. Be served at the real event. warm food real, too, real not warm just a vegetable platter. Just a vegetable not platter. just a vegetable platter. We would, we would like, like to inform you that all your recommendations submitted their letters ample time before the due date. Yes, I would, like, I would to like to ask a question about your presentation, presentation that affirms your argument and is not in any way hostile. Be like water. 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 Act 1. Zoom Fitness, Body, and Intimacy. In his piece on Zoom Fitness, Kevin relates his first-hand experience as part of a group of strangers who found a form of intimacy in sharing pictures of their body. So on March 23rd, I started this workout program through Zoom. Basically, it was run by this guy named, I'll call him Victor. So Victor would invite us all to like a Zoom chat, kind of work us, walk us through these like body weight workouts. They were great workouts. Uh, it was a great way to kind of try to stay in shape. And it was a really great group, and I'm still in it, and I really enjoy it. In the beginning, there were about 30 of us. None of us really knew each other. We all kind of found the group because uh, we knew Victor in one way or another. So on May 6th, Victor... Person message saying, hey, um, there's this new uh, new member, Selma. Um, she's ready to join, but she's really nervous, and I want everyone to sort of uh, send her a message to kind of cheer her up or welcome her in, you know? So everyone sort of posts and says, welcome, and they talk about how the program is, is hard, but it's worth it, and uh, lots of sort of uplifting posts. And I know this sounds pretty obvious, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of people bonding through COVID, but, you know, things kind of got a little more interesting as it goes on. So I'm looking at a series of posts on May 18th. David Bowie posted, Hey guys, I do not know about you all, but I know I spend a lot of time focusing on the parts of my body I need to work on, unless I'm what I'm happy with. It can drive me a little crazy and make me feel bad that I'm not making more progress. Today I wanted to think about something I like about myself to add some positivity to my day. I love my calves, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I skipped leg day and working out all together for two plus years, and they're still pretty great. What is your favorite body part on yourself? And the post got a lot of appreciation um, and a lot of response too. People were talking about how you know they like their abs, they like their legs, they like their backs, they like their shoulders, and often they sort of provided some stories too, and some of them were incredibly personal. So one guy, I'll just say, Ricky Martin, replies, My ass. Growing up, and this isn't a joke, my dad would offer to pay for surgery to reduce it. It was such an odd thing to be told and made me self-conscious. But honestly, it's a beautiful, large ass. 
and I'm happy I stuck by my guns and never let him slash them off. Just think about that. This guy's reaching back into a really unpleasant part of his childhood and sharing that with us, and other people were showing a ton of vulnerability too. We were all sort of bonding together around our bodies and our perception of them. And the bodies are kind of like the things we were trying to improve together. It was the focus of the class, but it was interesting how open we were about them. It was a weird feeling of connection. It definitely something I appreciated, but didn't understand and still don't really understand. Anyways, this developed even further. So just recently, on June 15th, um, we started doing this crazy low-carb diet thing together. So Victor has this whole plan. Uh, it's got all these like crazy steps, rules you got to follow, and stuff like that. So he posts this sort of like cheer us up video on the Facebook, kind of uh, like a solidarity thing. At the end, he actually takes off a shirt to sort of reveal his like, this is my before body. So like, I'm in this with you together. And everyone else followed up by posting their own sort of before pictures. It was interesting is that a lot of us, like even especially those with like the most fit bodies, you know, people looking toned and great, they sort of noted in their post how awkward they felt and how, how tough it was and how long it took them to like convince themselves to put these photos up. Why were we all so worried about feeling any more exposed? When you're working out, like you're not you're wearing pretty exposing clothing and what they were posting wasn't any different. Is it the individual focus? Is it because everyone's looking at you and you're sort of offering yourself? Here, there's just sort of an implicit demand for a personal connection. Would any of us have like done this if we were just sort of a normal workout class together? Would we have posted pictures of ourselves on a board somewhere or something like that? I don't think so. And so I think it has something to do with the fact that under quarantine, we're really missing a lot of the uh, physical intimacy that we had before. And not just with our close friends and family, but with all people in general. Earlier in a workout class, you wouldn't get that much contact. But you might bump into someone, or you high-five them. And even if it's not that, you know, you can sort of feel like the combined body heat in the room. I think it just reveals how much of our connection is built through the body. Just being present, you know, that they say in the flesh. I think this is particularly heightened under COVID because we're sort of trained to fear other people's bodies right now. You know, they're just hostile germ factories. You know, getting near them is toxic. And in that fear, we lose something that we may not have appreciated before. It's about feeling the sort of biological presence of other people. And we crave that. And now, a message from our academic overlords. History department seeking a tenure-track assistant professor candidate specializing in pre-modern Europe, pre-colonial North American studies, East Asian studies from 3000 BC to 1750 CE, African studies, Australian Aboriginal cultures, Antarctic penguin settlements, and pre-Tsarist Russia. Must be willing to teach summer courses on ancient mythology, sex and vampires in world literature, and pirates. Lion taming experience welcome, but not necessary. Act 2. The Pleasures and Displeasures of Zoom In this audio essay, Lauren ponders how Zoom aesthetics have blurred the lines between public and private spaces. 
The COVID-19 pandemic initiated new terms into our vernacular. Social distancing, flattening the curve, Zoom, COVIDiot, quarantini, Zoom bombing, and even zumping. Seemingly overnight, our lives moved to a virtual world dominated by Zoom. It went from a noun to a verb, and suddenly we were Zooming. As a film scholar, I'm constantly analyzing on-screen aesthetics. With everyone now interacting through screens, this presented me with a whole new set of aesthetics to ponder. What then makes up the mise-en-scene of Zoom? In film studies, mise-en-scene is a French term that means everything that appears in the frame. Broken down into its elements, this includes the lighting, decor, space, actors, and costumes. After having lived the Zoom life for four months, some aesthetic patterns of Zoom mise-en-scene emerged. Some people Zoom with a bookshelf behind them, hinting at the seriousness that books often convey. Some people have a blank wall behind them and attempt to maintain the division between public and private space. My own Zoom background exposes my kitchen, with my refrigerator covered in magnets. Other people use backgrounds of things like waves crashing on a pristine beach or the aurora borealis. The green screen-like effect also reminds us of where we most definitely are not. The fantasy Zoom backgrounds signal our desire to be somewhere else. Zoom costumes, or should I say clothes, appear to have embraced the casual. In the beginning of my Zooming, I wore the clothes that I would have worn in my office, but as the quarantine continued, my clothing choices became more casual. I'm often wearing the same zip-up hoodie, something I would have never dared to wear in my office. The hoodie is now a small comfort in a day typically filled with screen fatigue. Because of the limitations of the screen, some people only wear professional clothing on top and more casual clothes on the bottom. One of my colleagues holds her office hours wearing a professional top with hidden Scooby-Doo pajama pants. This blurring of the public and private in the pandemic has become apparent in the clothing we wear and simultaneously keep hidden. Sometimes pets become interlopers on and off screen. Dogs bark in the background. Cats walk across people's desks. The pets go from cameo to star performer when people ask what their names are. However, we're not seeing the mise-en-scene of a film. We're seeing the mise-en-scene of people's domestic lives. The division between public and private has quickly eroded in the span of a few months. But do we experience any of the same pleasures from Zoom that cinephiles gain from film? Is Zoom even voyeurism, or are we all mostly watching ourselves on Zoom? When I think about voyeurism, I think about Jimmy Stewart's character, L.B. Jeffries, and Alfred Hitchcock's rear window. Jeffries is a photographer who is confined to his home after breaking his legs in the field. He then spends his time watching all of his neighbors through his rear window. He watches them in their respective apartments, similar to small boxes, across the courtyard, and learns about their daily lives. In Rear Window, Jeffries has a sadistic streak, which is why he intentionally puts his girlfriend Lisa, played by the extraordinary Grace Kelly, in harm's way. He is stifled by being confined to a wheelchair, and he her wanting to get married. Perhaps another reflection of our current shifting domesticities. I taught this film this past spring semester. Usually my students love it, but this class didn't take to it the same way as my previous students did. I think it hit too close to home and reminded them too much of the life that we are currently living. When thinking about Rear Window, I'm reminded of Laura Mulvey's influential feminist theory essay, Visual Pleasure in Narrative Cinema. In the essay, Mulvey argues that Hollywood cinema is constructed for the ultimate pleasure of the heterosexual male viewer. In other words, these films have a male gaze in which the female is the passive object to be looked at. Yet, what kind of gaze does Zoom even have? What are we longing for? We're looking for something that we can't have in the same way anymore, connection. We want to see others, and seeing each other's very personal spaces produces a rapid intimacy in Zoom. We're able to see through a window into someone's life that we maybe would never have seen. We want to connect with people via Zoom, but there's a voyeuristic element that sullies an organic connection. 
Before, a casual video chat was no big deal, usually something you did with your close friends. Now it seems like a desperate chance at human contact, but it still leaves people unsatisfied. Hey there, folks. Skinny Pete here with our recurring mailbag segment. We read letters from you, the fans, and address them right here during the show. So we got a lot this week from the wife of our host, Kevin, the lovely Sydney Chrisman. She writes, Dear Podcast Zoom, Why is it that the only time I see Kevin these days, he's crawling out to our refrigerator, grabs some food, looks at me and mumbles something about emergent strategy, then crawls back upstairs? Good point, Sydney. We will be sure to budget more time for snacks next round. Okay, let her do. Dear Podcast Zoom, the other day I come into the room and Kevin is dangling one of our cats over a microphone and working the laptop with his toes. When I try to free the cat from him, he just keeps yelling something about getting the levels right. What is that? Well, uh, that is certainly going a bit far. Hmm. Alright, let's try letter three. Dear Expletives, Kevin spent all day today going on and on about intimacy. I thought he was hinting at a possible romantic gesture that evening. But that night, after he calls me upstairs, I get up there expecting flowers. And he just shoves a microphone in my face and asks about shifting intimacies or their COVID. What kind of show are you making over there? Wow, uh, that is a doozy. Uh, how about we end it there and move on? Act 3. Keeping our humanity in the pandemic age. In our final segment, Myrna explores our desire to maintain personal connections during the COVID-19 pandemic. There's an abnormal new normal in our world today. As the world goes through this pandemic and as we're all feeling this pressure of feeling in isolation, we're all still seeking out this feeling of connection. And what's really interesting is at the same time, globally, we're all dealing with the same issue. How do we experience what it means to be fully human amidst this struggle. It's almost like we're living in a social experiment where we're being asked to demonstrate what sci-fi stories have been telling us for years. What happens when the whole world is forced to disconnect in public and only connect virtually? And now we're really experiencing connection behind this mask of technology, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's through phone calls, What's really striking is how public spaces have become private, more exclusive, and how private spaces, our homes, which were places of retreat, where we would go to after a long day at work or a place to go wind down from, these are now the spaces that have become our work, our public space. We now sit in our bedrooms, our kitchens, living rooms, 
places that were once off limits to the public. These now become our offices and professional workplaces. Our private homes are now public. It's become really common to be in a Zoom meeting and to have a family member of the person you're talking to just pop into the screen or a child screaming in the background. And the informality of this, of being able to hear into the private lives of people we're talking to in these professional settings has really exposed the blurred lines of what private and public now mean in the age of coronavirus. In what other context could we even imagine being introduced to people for the first time in a professional context and at the same time being introduced to their partners, their pets, their bedrooms, their kitchens, their living space, and having that all accessible just through our public technology. What's become clear through the different ways we're experiencing this pandemic is that we're all searching for humanity around us. We're searching for this connection, this intimacy with each other, where we're assured that we're not just disease carriers walking around. We're not just biological weapons of human destruction, because we have the potential to be more than just bodies carrying and transmitting disease. We're still human, even though we're dealing with isolation. With our isolation in our homes or our social distancing in public, there's still one obvious thing. We need to experience humanity of others to feel fully human ourselves. There's a song that went viral throughout the Middle East recently, while people across the globe were being told to be in lockdown. It's called Sunnet al Haye, or translated loosely to This is Life. The words go, if distances get longer, and the days keep us apart. There are a thousand things between us that shows us that we care. Who said that being together is just meeting and shaking hands? There are hearts that care for us, even from far away. We always have words inside us, stories that need to be told, and people precious to us that we're always thinking of. There's no meaning to life if you can't find someone who, when you go away, keeps asking about you. And this is life. We go away, get lost, and walk in a million directions. And this is life. Our loved ones stay loved, and you're with them with your heart. The song became very popular because I think it resonates with what a lot of people are feeling today. The shifting intimacies of our time, whether we're communicating through our screens, our phones, or we're trying to talk through our masks as we're going to the grocery store. At the very least, the intentionality behind our actions is clear. Our humanity is dependent upon our intimacies, even though they're still shifting now, and even though we're adjusting to this new normal. And so amidst these moments of change, we can see really how our private lives have now become part of our public persona, our public voice, and our public intimacy.
This podcast was produced by Lauren Burrell-Cox, June Key, Myrna Wasif, and Kevin Warham, with support from the National Humanities Center Regional Graduate Student Internship and the Digital Humanities Center at San Diego State University. Special thanks to Pam Lack, Andy Mink, Joanna Brooks, Patrick Flanagan, and Cassie Tanks.